podcasting to you from Ontario, Canada, the home of hockey and sweet Canadian maple syrup. This is Unmasking COVID-19. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about personal stories during this pandemic. Our names are Ovia, Serena, Victoria, and Wen. And we are your hosts. We are so happy that you're here. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the first episode of the second season of Unmasking COVID. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Ovia. And I'm Victoria. And we're your co-hosts for today. Today here, we're here with the president of Native Women's Association of Canada, Lorraine. The Native Women's Association Canada, or NWAC, is founded on the collective goal to enhance, promote, and foster the social, economic, cultural, and political well-being of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit women. NWAC is an aggregate of 13 Native women's organizations from across Canada and was incorporated as a nonprofit organization in the 1974. We're very excited to have Lorraine from the NWAC to talk to us about um, NWAC and the impact of COVID today. And um, we're excited to see where the conversation goes. So welcome. Thank you. Um, I certainly appreciate you um, inviting me, um, you know, on the um, iPodcast. And, um, and you'd like me to go in a little bit on how the COVID-19 pandemic crisis um, has affected uh, NWAC. Um, so with this, you know, when we came in in March, um, we were then uh, told, I had come back home and we were told that, um, you know, we are now in a, in, in a pandemic and what have you with, um, you know, with this COVID crisis. Um, so once I had returned home into my territory of Mi'kma'ki, um, I was in Ottawa, um, I wanted to know exactly what was truly happening um, you know, in the territories, we have 13 that we represent uh, for coast to coast and into the north. Um, and we do, as you had mentioned earlier, uh, we do represent and defend the rights of, you know, First Nation, the Métis and the Inuit. So I wanted to know um, from their uh, point of view what's happening. And those are known as the PTMAs. Those are the President Territorial Member Associates that sit on our national organization. Organization. Um, so from here, they had mentioned in regards to, you know, the self-isolating, um, you know, the elders, you know, it was a fear that they couldn't, you know, talk or to be able to get out with their family. Um, they had noticed that the violence had increased um, as well, at, you know, as the abuse, um, you know, in the areas, um, food was being um, hard to be able to go out and to get their food where their children would be either in the car or at home because they were afraid to go out in, in the event that they would, you know, um, have contact with this virus. So it certainly has impacted our First Nation communities and our women that, that live in those areas. So from the information that I had gathered, um, brought it back to our team at um, our NWAC office, they then had put it into a survey so that we would know exactly who was being affected, you know, with the violence, the increase and what have you. Um, so from this uh, survey, it certainly did show a large um, 
abuse, of violence. And this uh, research that we did um, was also, um, you know, nano research had confirmed that the survey was true and just from the information that we gathered. Um, so with that, we've been trying to work you know, with our PTMAs to see how we could help them in, you know, in these areas with the COVID crisis. All right, so from the survey that you were mentioning, what specific differences have you noticed between the impact of COVID on Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities? Um, with our Indigenous communities, um, you know, they're, the, the communities are small, they're all in one area. Um, some of the areas, um, the communities are isolated, such in, as in the north, um, as well on some of our communities, we haven't the luxury of having good water source, um, our housing are overcrowding, we don't have the resources in some of the areas um, for the medical in the event that some of our, um, you know, our, our members get sick. Um, they may have to fly in from the north down into Ontario Bay, Manitoba, wherever, because they're flying communities. So they have the resources that some of our non-Indigenous um, people may have, um, whether they live in urban areas or in the cities. So that um, is a very big strain on our communities and the over, you know, crowdedness. Um, so that makes it, you know, even more difficult for our community members. Um, like you mentioned, like, like things like access to healthcare and like living conditions are um, definitely like systemic problems. And um, I know that's something that really caught my eye when I was looking about um, like your organization was that um, you were actively involved in like advocacy efforts, like with working with like officials who can um, make policies to make significant changes. Um, and so I was just wondering with regards to um, like mitigating some of the effects COVID has had on um, like the various indigenous communities. Um, like what are some of the advocacy effort, efforts that uh, NWAC has going on right now? Um, well, first of all, we did the survey. Um, we did reach out from there. We have gone further. Um, and, you know, presently we do have, um, you know, our, our crisis 1-800 uh, number in which our elder will, you know, answer the phone and be able to work with the person on the other end. Um, as you must you know, appreciate because of COVID, the social distancing, the self-isolation. Um, it brings in, you know, the mental capacity, the fear, what have you. Um, in today's society, whenever we phone, uh, we get, you know, a recording, not a human voice at the other end, per se, um, answering the call. So this gives the relief and the comfort to anyone that uses that 1-800 number to know that there's a person at the other end that will be able to de-escalate their mental, you know, their mental health, their thoughts, um, knowing that they are important to someone. Um, so that helps. So we do have that 1-800 number. Um, we have also put initiative uh, forth with um, a skirt, uh, a skirt campaign. And this was out to all members of the, uh, the women to be able to uh, design a skirt, what they felt um, 
you know, was in their heart and spirit during the COVID. So it would keep their mind off, you know, the, uh, the pandemic and the crisis itself. So we had over 170 skirts um, that were forwarded. From here, we had a first place winner who had won a beautiful sewing machine and what have you. Um, so, and it gave a story to each skirt that came. So it's that bit of taking their mind from, you know, the COVID into something that they know and what they enjoy. Um, you know, in sewing and bringing something together that's a beautiful piece, uh, you know, the skirt with the history behind it. Um, once that campaign has been over, we just finished um, another campaign, which is a cake campaign. Uh, again, this was put out to all the communities for the women to be able to design a cake um, which met, um, you know, what their heart and their feeling of being Indigenous, of, of you know, their identity, of, of who they are, and, and what, um, you know, the MMIWG may mean to them. So we did have um, a first place winner again, um, you know, with the, with the cake, and we did have quite a few respondents um, to this cake campaign. Um, but at the same time, um, if we had more dollars uh, with this COVID, um, we would be able to put in other initiatives. You know, example is the face mask. We wanted to, you know, if we had more dollars, we would want to be able to, to have each and every member of our PTMAs to, to be able to deliver a face mask to every family member, because we know that we're going to have to start. And I know in uh, in Meboggy, Nova Scotia, starting August 1st, um, every man, woman, and child needs to wear a face mask going out in public. Um, because of the second wave that, you know, we're expecting to occur, um, this is for our protection. So if we had more dollars, we would be able to initiate that going forth. Um, as well, um, with the violence that are occurring in the homes, our children are also in the homes. As we know, um, the schools have been closed um, since March, so the children couldn't go to school. Um, so when they're in a home environment, they're also in an environment where the violence occurs. And this weighs a lot on our children. So we wanted to be able to give back to our children to take their minds out, you know, and have a campaign for them that would be something that would meet their needs. Again, um, if we had more money, and uh, we would be able to do something with beadwork so that the, the women and the family members and the elders would be able to, to work in that to get their minds again uh, from the pandemic that, you know, that we're in. So yeah, there's a lot of initiatives that could go forth, um, but we're certainly there. Um, you know, we do have calls and, and we'll still continue working with our community members the best that we can with the tools and the resources that we have at our national office. Yeah. I mean, the campaigns that you did mention, um, like especially for a lot of communities, social distancing and things like that is a huge change of like lifestyle and that can add a lot of mental pressures. So it is good to hear about the campaigns that are happening and like the resources yeah. you have for mental health specifically. Um, yeah. And I was just curious, like off the top of your head, um, do you know like how much of the funding um, like of COVID response is allocated to Indigenous communities in Canada? Um, not at the top of my mm -hmm. head. 
Um, you know, I do know that, you know, on a national, um, we certainly didn't receive any dollars. And as a national organization where we work for the 13 communities, um, you know, across Canada in the territories, the dollars would have come to the national organization, then they would be equally filtered into the 13 PTMAs. Unfortunately, um, we didn't receive any dollars, so that wasn't able to go out. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we're still here for support, but, you know, the final dollars, I'm not exactly sure. So you touched a little bit on how you've seen a rise in violence due to COVID, or at least um, after the pandemic started. So could you speak a little bit more on how um, this violence and specifically gender-based violences have increased or have been impacted by COVID? Okay, um, as you can appreciate, you know, with the uh, gender diverse uh, community um, we know that there is systemic racism um, and discrimination um, all across the board. Um, and yes, they have been impacted, um, you know, in many ways. But, um, you know, with the violence that has increased, um, you know, due to this COVID crisis, we realized that, um, you know, with the social distancing and, you know, before the bubble had opened up to where we could go to so many families or so many gathering of, you know, people in one area, um, the, the victim was still living in the same home as the perpetrator, as the abuser. And this also stems with the gender diverse, um, uh, people as well. You know, they're living in the same areas that the abuse has taken place. And they had no means of getting out of their home or their situation um, to be able to get that help or support. Um, and in some of these areas, we must realize that they don't have the technology to get the support. They may not have the technology that we have as the computers, um, as our phones, uh, to be able to get help or get those extra resources resources that we need. So we need to, to certainly make sure that these gaps, um, you know, are addressed, you know, when dollars are given out. So that's why if it, you know, dollars were able to come into you know, I, I, and I can only speak on NWAC, um, if dollars had come into the national organization, we would then be able to see the dollars being uh, filtered into the community so that the, you know, our PTMA, they know best what's happening in their community, that they would be able to assist these people in, in those areas. Um, you know, and, and I've been told, uh, by ministers that there was no dollars on national uh, organizations given. But then just lately, a few days ago, you know, I had heard that, yes, there was uh, dollars given to a national organization. So I question why is this happening or why am I getting these conflicting um, answers that no national dollars have gone out? Um, and then, yes, they have. So you know, it concerns me because in the government, I'm seeing that, you know, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Um, and that affects our women, that affects our community, 
It affects the First Nations. It affects our Métis. It affects our Inuit women, girls, children, and family. Um, that these dollars could have come out and 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 could have helped the women. And I do hope that you know in the future we are planning. You know we're hearing of the second wave. So hopefully these dollars will be able to come into our area so that we can be prepared for the second wave that's going to be occurring and children will be in school at the time so you know these are important and and this is information given to us by the world health organization by our premiers you know our health um directors you know in each province and territory so we as indigenous women need to be ready for that so you've been speaking a lot about the lack of funding for on the government level and the national level so that's obviously a major issue on the government's part and it's really affecting your communities however is there anything you have any support that you have received from the government whether that be um, in the form of information or resources to help with the COVID crisis um is what we're trying to do. We use the resources that we have. Um, we do take dollars from here and there, the best way that we can to be able to. We've even purchased material out of our own dollars, um, you know, out of the services that we give, but it may be a shortfall down the road. You know, we're taking out of other areas to be able to give back because we need to be able to assist our, our, our members um, in the various areas. So we had bought material and, you know, had sent it out to some of the communities so that, you know, fate, you know, the mask would be able to be made. Um, but at the same time, some of the communities have received dollars from the government, um, a provincial, you know, uh, PTMAs, but not on a national. And, you know, the discrepancy from one uh, province to another is, you know, is quite a different you know one province receiving 200,000 another province uh, receiving 30,000 that's quite a discrepancy but at the same time we're not meeting all the needs of all of the women across the province you know there's a few provinces that have received dollars but not all of the PTMAs and we need to be um, you know we're here to advocate we're here to help um but we can if we haven't the dollars to be able to assist and be equal amongst all of our women because each and every woman child and gender diverse person is so important to us and a life is important and with this COVID, we know that people have died from it i mean you know their statistics are out there we don't want to see another death of our sisters our grandmothers our aunties um our mothers, you know, go to to COVID where we could prevent this from happening, um, you know, if we had the chance to be included into where these dollars have been, you know, funneled out to. Like you mentioned, like, um, yeah, obviously, like, it's important for every province to be as well equipped as every other because the pandemic is something that has, um, like, affected all of Canada. It's important to make sure that, like, the resources are distributed in an equitable manner. Um, that's really important. And um, I guess, like, kind of just adding on to that, like, in your initiative to get um like more funding like funnels nationally um 
like are there any ways that like people like our viewers or like students like us or anyone else can kind of help in that mission or initiative well, I just feel that, you know, the support uh, behind, you know, the initiative, you know, that we're all there, you know, we need to be able to be out there for all humankind, for all uh, mankind, womankind, whatever it be, we need to look at everyone, and everyone is important. Um, but I just feel that with all of these millions of dollars that have gone out, and we haven't received one as a national organization with COVID, um, this is a serious problem to me uh, because I'm seeing some of our women PTMAs are not getting any funding and they need that in order for the second wave. We need to work together um, but in saying that I, I certainly must stress and praise all of the employees at our NWAC office for all of the work that they're doing to, you know providing me with the information teleworking at home. I acknowledge and, and realize how difficult uh, working teleworking working at home, especially when you're not used to having all the technology equipment and then the whole world, you know, it's not just a province or a community, the whole world are now teleworking and our computer systems, are we readily available for that? At the beginning we weren't, there was a lot of, um, you know, conflicts and making sure that we have the proper technology. Um, so that's globally, that was one issue. But when we get down to the areas where in some of our communities, there is no technology, no computer system. Um, I look at our um, students, uh, you know, if we had dollars that could help with this COVID, we would be able to assist our students with the technology because they aren't, you know, going to be going to university in the fall. They have to take their courses online. And you know, my heart goes out to, to the students because some of them are in an area, whether it be a college where they have to go out and do their clinical work. An example um, is, a, you know, one of our students, our, our young women are going to be, you know, a nurse. Um, you know, she can only do so much online work but she has her clinical that's part of her degree and how is she going to be able to go out to get that clinical work um, to complete her degree um, and 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 some of our members don't have the computer system or the updated technology to help them so if we had those extra dollars we would be able to give more support you know, the dollars aren't staying at our national level. They are being distributed to the community. And who else knows more than us at a national level um, who our PTMAs are and how they can mobilize and make this work more effectively and more efficiently. Um, and that's where I'm coming from. We know, um, and I do feel that the dollars should have come forth to the national and I realize at a, a provincial um, you know at a grassroots it, that's where the should, dollar should go but in our instance uh, the dollars come nationally if they're filtered down into the grassroots. Um, you mentioned quite a bit about how Indigenous students have been impacted by COVID just in terms of moving to an online education environment and how that's really difficult for some of your students. So are there other ways in which 
the state of education for indigenous communities has been impacted by this crisis? Um, certainly. Um, when I look at um, student, I know when I was a youth, um, I'm still youthful. <laughs> but when I was a youth, I went in and I went into summer jobs because um, this would give me experience that I needed again, but I was being paid for the work that I was doing. Um, so these jobs aren't out there due to this crisis that we're in. Um, and I know the government and I certainly commend the government and for giving our students dollars to be able to assist them by not working out. But at the same time, there's that gap that's missing. Um, it's the work that they could be doing in educating, you know, for their future, um, contributing what they're learning academically and putting it in the hands that they're able to work in that field that their dream and their intuition has always been there. And, and the lack of that summer employment isn't there uh, for them to be able to proceed with their dream. Um, so, so that is a problem and it, and it certainly is a big concern. And, and I do feel for the students in that area. And I do hope that, um, you know, this COVID will soon, um, you know, start you know, equalizing out that, you know, we'll never go, we will never go back to the way it was. Um, but with this change that will be coming, um, you know, from this COVID crisis, um, that we will learn new ways, new techniques, and, and in a positive way, maybe in a nurturing, loving way, because, you know, when we look, there is so much hatred, there's so much jealousy, um, you know, dollar is the almighty thing that's there, and it'll put us back into a very humble way, one that we need to love each other for, for who and what we are and what we do. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, out of crisis situations, there can always be good things that come. And I'm hoping that good things will come uh, from what we're going through today. And I really do feel that if we work together, um, you know, in a, starting, you know, in the home, in the community, um, you know, in the province, in the country, and globally, internationally, that we can all get through this in a positive way. Yeah, uh, that, well, thank you for that, um, like, message of, like, hope and optimism. I think that's something that's really important to keep note. Um, even though we are in a crisis, that it could result in, like, highlight some of the problems that do exist and kind of work and motivate people to work towards that. And, like, something you did mention was um, that the impact on students is not just online learning, but also the opportunities that they miss with regards to like developing certain skills and things like that. Um, so I was wondering, like, you know, employment and skill development is something that is definitely huge that's been affected by the pandemic. And I was wondering if um, you would want to elaborate a little bit more about like what your organization um, has been doing specifically with regards to like employment and skill development activities for Indigenous women and children? Okay, we have been working um, on entrepreneurs, small businesses, um, and what have you. And, and when we look at, you know, some of these entrepreneurships, some cottage industries, 
the economic of our women are being affected. Um, you know, some of the women that have small businesses, um, as you can appreciate, uh, not many people are, are, you know, are traveling about. We are staying in our community area, in our provinces, in the bubble that we have in our area is the Atlantic region, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI and Newfoundland were able to travel within that bubble area. So some of the you know, some of the businesses um, that we have have been closing up. They've closed up because they haven't had the revenue from March into, you know, just starting recently um, that they needed to be able to to continue their lifestyle. Um, so they've had to, you know, sell their inventory to be able to to make ends meet. Now, I do know the government has given um you know, loans, but in order, for, these are small businesses. And when they go into a loan and they have to repay it, um, they never want it to go into a loan and put themselves into debt, where if, if they get the loan, they're in debt. So they still have to pay that back and they're pay, playing catch up. And for a small business, this just is, it doesn't work. Um, it puts them in a stressful area um, where they have to pay the dollars back. It's not helping them um, as a small business person. So they are truly being affected, um, you know, as small business um, entrepreneurs or, you know, or um, artisans. Uh, but I did want to mention one comment um, with our uh, students. Um, you yourself know, and even myself going to university or college, um, you know, the experience that you're missing out of. Going to a university, you're excited, you finally made it to the university of your choice, um, you're going to be studying there. Now, knowing that they're not going to have that advantage, that experience of going to a university, um, the camaraderie that you would be joining, um, all of these areas affect all of us so much more than what we think. Um, so these are such important steps that many uh, people are missing out of. Um, and as a student, um, you know, they've worked so hard to get the grade 12 and to graduate to get to that step um, to find that, you know, there's a, a block, the door's closed, but we really have to to look at that door. Um, and my mother has always said, you know, when one door closes, another opens. So we do have to do our studies online, but we have to accommodate in one way. So let's open that door, do our accommodations, do our changes that we need to do, um, and then build your own door. So that means that you take, you know, the best of what we've gone through, which is, you know, could be negative, but it could be positive. So let's look at it in a higher realm. Let's look at it in a more positive way. Let's make these changes positive and, and let's work with them because before you know it, uh, we'll be out of this little this little um, bubble here and we will be into a larger bubble. So, you know, if we work together, in partnership in a positive way and treat people as fair and equitable as we can we can get through this 
it's, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that um, I have all the answers or other people. Um, and that's when we brainstorm together and we have the inclusion of everyone. That's why um, as being a leader of NWAC, our women need to be included in many of the tables with, you know, with the political part, um, with the, the grassroots people, uh, with our elected delegates. We need to work together and we need to be open and transparent. And, you know, humility comes in. Sometimes we have to realize we're not as, as big as we think we are. We need everyone to help us. And that's why I am so uh, appreciative of all of the staff at NWAC who give me all the the information that I need to make my job easier. Um, we can't do it alone and we need everyone to be able to be there. And, you know, both you two who are, you know, interviewing me, um, you're here getting the information out that needs to be put out um, in a positive way. And, and I'm hoping that people who are listening will be able to generate and, and maybe have a different, you know, outlook on life. I don't know, but um, I do feel that, you know, never give up on hope. You can take a break, but you have to get back at it again. And that's uh, really a great message. And um, yeah, we really do hope that for everyone listening, um, everyone who does listen, that like the importance of having partnerships is really important because like your organization, like you truly know and understand the experiences of like different communities you do work with. And so, that just goes to show like this entire conversation really just goes to show the importance of having those um, like voices in the table where decisions um, are made in the end of the day. So I guess that will wrap up today's episode of Unmasking COVID. Uh, thank you so much, Lorraine, for sharing your insight into how Native Canadians have been impacted by the pandemic and what the government can do to help. Um, if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please fill out the form on our Facebook page. But for now, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you back next time.